You know, somebody asked for this week. I know Steve said that, but this question, uh, it came up and uh, it's a good question. So um, this is actually a, a pretty common question. In fact, um, a while ago I was sitting, uh, this is like two and a half years ago, I was sitting with a brother in Christ and he was sharing how discouraged he was in his faith. And uh, he, he struggles with anger. So uh, sometimes in Christianity we talk about this concept of besetting sin. So what that means is that often for us there's one main area of our life that tends to be the, the bait of Satan, the lure that we go after, after often. You know, some of us it's lazy, laziness, some of us it's greed. Uh, for this particular person, it was, uh, it was anger. And he was relating to me about how he'd been working so hard to try and become less angry and to get control of this, and he, he just never felt like he was making any progress. You know, something bad would happen, and, and he'd be saying words that he didn't want to say, and he'd be muttering curses under his breath, and, and, and people would make him mad, and he would just let loose and let him have it, and, and, and he would become so overwhelmed that he would break things and smash things, and, and he could see that his family was suffering because of it, and he, he was just... I don't know what to do, and I'm, I'm even beginning to wonder if, if I'm actually saved, and, and is God real, because he, he doesn't seem to be there when everything's falling apart. And so we sat down for a long time, and we talked about the nature of salvation, and how God's power works within us, and how he can rest in that, and not have to be so anxious or afraid. But the, at the heart of it all, he felt like he maybe somehow had lost his salvation, or that God was done with him and wasn't going to work in his life anymore because he wasn't worthy of that even after all this time. And so the question today is, can I lose my salvation? Now, again, you might not be wondering this question today for yourself, but I guarantee at some point in time, God will bring you alongside a believer who is wondering this, who spiritually is depressed, who is down in the dumps, who's walked away from the Lord and just wonders, is there even a way back? Is there any hope for me? And so hopefully at the end of the day today, you will have the answers uh, that you can share with them. Or today, maybe you yourself are in that place and you just wonder, is God even working? Is, is he even in my life? Have I lost the very thing that I thought was the best thing in life? Uh, so we're talking about, can I lose my salvation? Uh, but before we get into that, let's just uh, take a moment to pray. Father, we thank you for the grace and love that is towards us in Christ Jesus. God, it's, it's greater than we can imagine. And just like we look at the sun and we know that it's big, we can't actually fathom the fullness of your love. We can't measure it or even fully understand it. We pray that in this time, that through these scriptures, that the abundance of your love, the fullness of your grace, the power of salvation will become clearer to us through the power of your spirit working in us. Holy Spirit, I pray for your power and clarity as I teach today. Uh, let your word be true. Let the evidence that's in Scripture speak for itself. I pray that you would strengthen the believers uh, in this room, and that you would encourage those who, who don't know you to think on Christ and turn to him, and that you would restore those who are hurting. We thank you for these things, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. So all of these questions, I don't know if you've noticed, but the answers are pretty logical. Uh, and you can think through them logically, just like everything else in life, but we need to always be in the scripture with our logic, right? Because the human logic that we have often falls short, but the logic of God is always true. So as we discover this or talk through this, I'm going to show you that we can find the answer to this question when we understand the nature of salvation. So sometimes we 
don't understand a concept fully, and so we doubt or we misuse it or we, we fall short in our understanding of it, and that is often true with the nature of salvation. Um, when I first became a Christian, uh, the concept of grace was like this to me. I thought grace meant that if you believe, then you have everlasting life. But I've mentioned before that grace is a much bigger concept. It, it actually has to do with God's favor in your life, and it comes with a whole load of blessings. So in Ephesians 1, many of you know, it says that God has blessed you with how many blessings that are available in the heavenly places? All of them, every single one of them. And it says that they're available to you right now because of Jesus and his faithfulness and graciousness towards you. Now, that's the fullness of grace. The problem is, is you can't catalog it, right? It's like going into Jack's. God has all the grace you need. It's just that some of it's upstairs and you've never seen it before. And, and so you need to ask, God, what's your grace for me right now? And, and so uh, this concept of salvation is, is pretty big. So we're going to start with the, the basics and then we're going to stay in the basics and then we'll conclude with the basics um, because this is all basic, but it's pretty vast when we start looking at it. In fact, um, I, I had to eliminate uh, like 20-something slides from the sermon. There's just too many, okay? Um, some of you can thank me later for that. I know, I know. Um, but the reality is, is that I, some of you love this subject, and I'm not going to hit your favorite verses because there's just too many. Like once you start seeing it in the Bible, you can't stop seeing it everywhere. And you're reading, and you're like, oh, there it is. There's salvation. There, I can't lose it. There's just this guarantee again. And so um, we, we won't hit everything, but let's, let's start talking about salvation. Salvation is God's gracious gift to those who believe. Free to you because Jesus paid it all. You, Kelly mentioned that just a couple of minutes ago. Salvation is free to us, and it's free to us because Jesus paid it all. Have you ever had the pleasure of being at a restaurant when you go to receive the bill, they say, oh, uh, somebody's already paid that for you. It doesn't mean that your meal is free. It means that somebody else paid for it, right? Somebody bought that for you. On the peninsula, we have the Aller Trust, and the Aller Trust will pay for you to swim at Dunes Bible Camp in the pool over there, or down in Astoria at the Astoria Aquatic Center. It's not free. Somebody else is paying for it for you. The same thing is true of salvation. Now, some people get really offended at the free nature of salvation. And so when we get offended, sometimes we have these great bombastic terms and ideas. Bombastic means like uh, coming in with a lot of energy and heat and gravity. But sometimes it's just a hot air balloon, right? And so sometimes people say, oh, you're talking about cheap grace, easy believism. It's not cheap. Jesus paid for it. It cost him everything and it cost him dearly. And so we want to recognize right off the bat that salvation is God's gracious gift that he bought for you, and it's for all those who believe. It's actually for everyone, but the people who've believed have received it. In Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it says this, for you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourself. It is God's gift. It's not from works so that no one can boast. It's a gift. It's gracious and full of favor, and you receive it by faith. Jesus is very clear that I will receive those who come to me. He says that anyone who believes in me has everlasting life. He longs for every human to have salvation, and he does not rejoice in the death of anyone, right? And that's significant for us. We struggle with that. But the reality is, is salvation is a free gift available to all. 
So what, what do we need to do with this, right? Because I don't want this just to be an act of giving you information. This is not just Encyclopedia Chris for your benefit, right? Uh, there's something to respond to here. And so the response here is to receive the gift. Receive the gift of everlasting life from Jesus. For some reason, it's very hard for us to get a hold of this. There are two ends of the spectrum here. There are some people who wrestle with the concept of God the concept of the need of forgiveness and the concept of their separation from God because of sin. And so for these people, it's this process of slowly beginning to see over time through the work of the Holy Spirit or sometimes instantly that they were created by God, that God loves them and wants them to have a relationship with Him, but their sin separates them from God and they wrestle with, well, what does this mean that there's sin and condemnation? But as they are pierced by the Holy Spirit and begin to understand that they're in a place of spiritual depth. They, they accept the gift and they see that Jesus Christ died for their sins. And in that moment, when they recognize that, there's this thing that happens in them and they become a saved person, right? Because they put their faith in Jesus. They recognize the truth that he died on the cross for their sins and that those who believe have everlasting life. So that's that process of faith. Faith is the process of coming into an understanding of a new reality. You know, we've talked before, sometimes there's a prayer that goes with that, sometimes there's a walking up to the front, there's often a response and that's appropriate, but it's not the prayer that saves and it's not the walking up to the front that saves and it's not somebody laying their hands on you that saves you, but that means praying, that doesn't mean beating you up for those of you who do not understand our Christian parlance, okay? Uh, so uh, those things aren't what saves you, what saves you is your faith, it's receiving the gift. But then there's some of us that we understand sin. You know, we grew up in a lovely guilt-stricken home. Anybody, anybody have those spiritual bags packed for when mom and dad lay on the guilt trip? Yeah, and so over here on this side, we are aware of our sin. But what we're not aware of is that there's gracious salvation. We feel like if we dig the hole, we've got to fill it, right? If we made the bill, we've got to pay it. We've got to earn our way out of debt with God. And God says, you can't because it'll kill you. And I don't want you to die paying your debt to me. So I will pay the debt for you. Either way, these two groups of people come to Jesus and they receive the gift of everlasting life. So the first question today for you is, have you received the gift of everlasting life? And if not, I just want to encourage you call to you. Maybe today is the day you receive everlasting life. Maybe today is the day that you're hearing about this salvation that's available and you go, I think there's something here. Jesus, I want to know you more and I'm putting my faith in you today for everlasting life. And what's amazing to me is that we can't see it, but God says every time a sinner turns to faith, which is a word that we call repentance often, that there's a celebration in heaven over you and your reception of the everlasting life. And anybody have a favorite football team? Or anybody watch baseball? And there's these moments where somebody receives a pass or catches this deep fly ball at the wall and saves the loss, right? Like they capture the win. Jesus is watching you and he's passing you the ball. He's just waiting for you to receive that. And when that happens, heaven rejoices, right? It's, it's better than the Super Bowl being won up there. They rejoice over the everlasting life that you receive because the love of God that is for you is that big. That's amazing news, isn't it? That's all part of salvation. Now we understand that salvation is a gift, but I want to talk about what salvation saves us from. It's very important that you understand what salvation saves us from. 
Have, have you received one of those calls recently where uh, your phone rings and it's, it's not a number you know, but it's like a United States number, and you're like, well, it's in Warrington. Maybe, maybe I like lost a credit card or something. I don't know. And you, you take the call, and then uh, there's a, somebody on the other line, and they mispronounce your last name, and then they say, I'm, I'm calling about the warranty on your Lexus. And you're like, sorry, pal. I, I don't have a Lexus. Well, could you tell me what kind of car you do have, right? They start fishing for information because they're trying to find out if you have something that they can twist to, to get you interested in the phone call. Well, often we don't answer the question uh, right because we don't start with the right question to begin with. So we need to talk about what are we being saved from? You know, this salvation that's being offered. Well, first of all, uh, if you have salvation, you have been saved from the penalty of sin. So if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you've been saved from the penalty of sin. In Romans 3.21, it says this, and and following, by the way, um, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, attested by the law and the prophets. The righteousness of God is through the faith of Jesus Christ to all who believe, since there is no distinction. Now, I want to just pause there. If you've got your Bibles, you, you probably noticed that it says something different there. It probably says, through faith in Jesus Christ. It says, through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, I'm changing the translation, and I know that's dangerous, and it's confusing sometimes, but here's the deal. In the Greek, as it's talking through this, it uses the word pistis, and then it talks about Jesu Christu, and, and, and when it talks about pistis and Jesu Christu, these are in the genitive case and the accusative case. Okay, so righteousness of God is through, which is by means of, Jesus Christ, the accusative. He is the one whose faith, who righteousness is through, right? And it's his faithfulness that gives us righteousness, okay? It's his faithfulness that gives us righteousness. It's not righteousness through the law, it's righteousness through Jesus. Now, I said that faith is in the genitive. Now, genitive means that it's possessed. It means that it's owned by something. It it means that it's being modified by something else. It's Jesus' faith, but often in our translations, because we're trying to emphasize that it's your faith that saves you, that you need to have faith that that Jesus died for you and rose from the dead, we front load that into the text. And instead of letting the text be clear in and of itself, we sort of change the wording. It doesn't actually change the meaning though, right? Like it's still faith that saves you, but it's Jesus' faithfulness that allows you to have righteousness. And that righteousness is given to all who believe. Now think of it a different way. If it was faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, isn't that redundant? Doesn't it talk about belief twice? So if the translation says the righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, isn't that Faith is for Jesus, or for people who believe in Jesus too also. Have you ever done that in a sentence where you've got like the T-O-O and the also, and they mean the same thing? The same thing is happening here. It already talks about all who believe, that the righteousness is available to all who believe. But what we're missing in the translation, faith in Jesus Christ, is who makes the righteousness available. Where does the righteousness come from? The righteousness comes from Jesus' faithfulness. If Jesus wasn't faithful, righteousness would not be available to you. 
That's part of the deal. He was faithful. He lived a perfect life. And the verse is highlighting that. It's his righteousness for you. It's his righteousness on your behalf. And so it's the faith of Jesus that saves us. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So what this is saying is that this is saving everyone from the power of sin because everyone has sinned and they fall short of the glory of God. Now, what does that mean to fall short of the glory of God? Any amateur handyman out there, have you ever needed a board stretcher? You've measured twice and you've cut once and you take the board in and you're three-eighths of an inch short. That is so disappointing, isn't it? That board has fallen short of the glory of the wall or the cabinet or whatever it's supposed to go on. And you know what you have to do? You have to start all over again. It's trash. You can't make it work for that purpose anymore. It goes in the scrap pile, and hopefully you can redeem it for reuse in the future in another way, right? Especially if you're early in the project. But sometimes you just cut a 2 by 8 by 16 and it's not coming back. And you're driving to the hardware store again, right? And the whole time you're thinking very gracious thoughts to yourself. I'm sure of it, right? What this is saying is that God created you in his image, with his glory for a purpose. But because your disconnection from God separates you from him, you're falling short of that purpose over and over again. Every human, while created in the image of the glory of God, representing him on earth, often becomes a representation of what they want to be or what they think other people want them to be instead of a representation of the glory of God. And by often, I mean 100% of the time. Everyone has fallen short of their created purpose in Christ. Until you have faith in Christ, you can't even start to reproduce that because you need the Holy Spirit in you to fulfill that created purpose. So we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And therefore, we deal with this problem that it talks about in Romans 6, 23. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you remember your first paycheck? Or maybe the first $5 or $20 that you made? I remember one time my mom said, oh, hey, Chris, um, uh, so-and-so in the Cub Scout pack is wondering if you can watch her two kids this week while she goes to an appointment. And they were kids that were in my little brother's uh, Cub Scout. It's not a troop. It's uh, whatever Cub Scouts are. doesn't matter. Escaping my mind. They're a little group of Cub Scouts. Den. Thank you. Den. The Cub Scout den. And so I was like, that'd be great. And I went over there and we did great things. Like we ate macaroni and cheese out of a box. And when you're 13, that is like Shangri-La, right? Like there's nothing better than craft. And then we played Nintendo, which was awesome. And then we wrestled and then we played more Nintendo. And then she got home and it was great. I was like, this was a fun time. Like we just had a blast together. And then I was leaving and the lady gave me $40 for an hour of work. And I was like, this is amazing. You know, like it's 1994. You know, $40 in 1994 was a really big deal. And I just made $40 an hour. If you take that out over the course of the year, that's $80,000 a year, right? And you got to remember, I'm a math nerd. And so I'm doing this in my head. And I'm like, if I was a rich man, you know, I'm just thinking what this could mean. And I'm wondering how many other people will hire me to babysit. And all the other babysitters are girls. And so maybe I'll have an edge on the market because I'm a boy babysitter and I can babysit boys and it'll be a fantastic thing right? But the wage, it felt so amazing. The the problem is, is that we've got a paycheck coming if we don't have Jesus. 
And, and it's not going to feel so amazing. The wages of sin is death, eternal separation from the Father. And it's coming. As sure as taxes are, it's coming. Except there's this other part. If you will accept it, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We've been saved from the penalty of sin. Jesus just files with heaven's post office a change of address. And he says, you just send that bill to me. I'll take care of the paycheck. Jesus, Jesus is an eternal tax write-off, right? Yeah, yeah. The tax of death. Jesus is willing to pay that for you. That's very good. That's right. Uh, so there's this gift that's available, and this gift saves you from the penalty of sin. In Romans, or Romans, pardon me, in 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So we had sin in our lives. And Jesus is saying, even though I didn't know sin, even though I didn't sin at all, even though I didn't experience sin, what's going to happen is I'm going to take your sin onto me, and then I'm going to give you my righteousness, my right standing with God, my perfection is going to be yours. I'm going to give that to you. It's a really awesome exchange for us. Not so awesome for him, but he says that he did it for joy, and he did it because of love, and that's really amazing that God would do that on our behalf. So you've been saved from the penalty of sin because Jesus took that onto himself and gave you the reward of righteousness, which is everlasting life. In John 5, 24, Jesus says this, truly, anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not come under judgment but has passed from death to life isn't that awesome that jesus saves you from the penalty of sin and so now if you've received the gift you get to rejoice because you are free you can rejoice because you are free and you shouldn't leave that place of rejoicing you just shouldn't have you ever purchased a new car What's your first month like with that new car? It's like new car smell. You get in and you're like, oh, I love my new car. You think about all the problems that your old car used to have, and you're like, I'm starting it, there's no grind. I'm starting it, there's no grind. I'm driving it down the road, it's not shimmying and shaking. I'm not doing the hokey pokey here. You know, we're not shaking it all about. You, you think of everything that's changed because the old car is gone. But for some reason, for some reason over time, we stop to enjoy the, or we stop enjoying the luster of that new car, right? And it starts to get dusty inside, and somebody messes with your radio presets, and your wife moved the mirrors and didn't put them back, and now you're backing up and you can't see things. You got to stop and change the mirrors again, and you find reasons to not rejoice anymore. The same thing often happens in our relationship with Jesus. We leave that primary joy of salvation and we start like every human to get a little itchy inside. We're like, maybe there's something more. Maybe there's something better out there. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'm missing something and we need to not do that. We need to stay in that place of rejoicing. This is the best gift you've ever received and it's the best gift that you will ever know and it's greater than you can understand and you just need to say, Lord, take me deeper. Show me more. Help me understand. Help me experience. Put me in the game in a new way so that I always have the joy of my salvation. For some of you who have been saved quite a while, I want to challenge you with this. Sometimes you know what we need to do? We need to find other people who are new in their salvation 
or lead other people to their salvation. There is nothing like finding somebody else who's excited about something you love to reinvigorate your love for that thing. I know that I, I've gotten to do some premarital counseling as a pastor. I'm sorry, in the state of Washington, I'm not a counselor. Some premarital discipleship. Thank you. And, uh, and one of the things that happens to me every time is that I fall more in love with my wife. She's not in the room, but I'm talking to these people about healthy relationships. I'm hearing about why they're in love. I'm seeing them make eyes at each other. They're preparing for their big day. And what's happening to me? I'm remembering my big day. I'm remembering the moment that I saw my wife in that dress. I'm remembering the moment that I asked her if she will, and she said yes. I'm remembering all of those little things, and I'm leaving the room, I think, more blessed than they are because I'm remembering what was so good and is still so good. And so for some of us who are feeling a little crusty in our faith, maybe we need to pray for opportunities to share the good news with others. Maybe we need to talk with people about the joy of their salvation and to share that old, old story about how they were 12 and they turned to Jesus, or they were 52 and they turned to Jesus, and it reminds you about how fresh and how good it is, and you begin to rejoice again because you realize that you are free, fully free from the penalty of sin and that you never have to worry about it again. Next when we're saved, we are being saved from the power of sin. We are being saved from the power of sin. Now, this is very important that this is also an aspect of salvation for us. In Romans uh, 6, Paul makes this big, long statement about the power of sin and the power of Jesus' righteousness and being alive to God through Jesus. And so we're going to read Romans 6, 8 through 14. It says, now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Now that sounds like something later, right? It sounds like we will live with him later because where is Jesus living right now? In heaven, at the right hand of the Father, in the heavenly places. We talked about that a few weeks ago. So this seems like it's a later on thing, but Paul isn't talking about a later on thing. He's talking about a right now thing, a very present thing for us. He says, because we know that Jesus Christ, having been raised from the dead, will not die again, and death no longer rules over him. Implication, does death rule over you? No, you don't have to fear death. You do not have to fear death. I want to say that again. You do not have to fear death. When I was 20, I was a part-time youth pastor, and uh, I apologized to that church. I didn't know what I was doing very well yet, but they hired me anyways. And I was coming back from a lock-in. And if you don't know what a lock-in is, it's where a few crazy adults invite all the teenagers that they know into a building, and they lock the doors, and they give everybody pop and pizza and chips and candy, and they don't let anybody sleep all night. And then everybody goes home the next day happier. It's really this strange thing. The Holy Spirit has to be involved, because that's not how it works out in life, right? And so we had the lock-in. It was a real blast. I had cleaned up and I was going home on Saturday morning and uh, it had happened to be one of those Midwest nights when dew fell and then it got even colder and dew froze okay and so there was ice on the road and it was a little bit slippery which was making it a little bit fun for 20 year old me and I was taking the curvy road home because I was stupid Honestly, I don't know why I took the curvy road home. There were straight roads. I took the curvy road. And I always overdrove the curvy road in my 1993 Ford Escort Albino Bob. And this day I decided, you know what? I'm going to go the speed limit on this road for once. I know, novel concepts, teenagers, I recommend that you do that all the time. Okay, it's very expensive to not do that. I can show you the old bills. So 
I'm going on the road, I'm going the speed limit, and I hit the S-curve. And I remember thinking, I've got to be very careful. And just as I'm thinking that, the back end of the car breaks loose. And I think, that's okay, I'll get through it. And so I got it straightened out, except then it started to go the other way. And then I got it straightened out, except it started to go faster this way. And that's when I realized it was game over. And so I took my hands off the wheel. I don't know why. Carrie Underwood hadn't written the song yet, but in my heart, I'm singing, Jesus, take the wheel, right? And, and I pull my hands or my feet even off of the, the pedals, and, uh, and I just am sitting there. And then all of a sudden, I realize that I'm looking at Monopoly pieces and Stratego across the roof of my car, and then I'm realizing that my car is spiraling through the air completely out of control. And then I remember that there's all these trees along the side of the road. And in that moment, I remember thinking, well, Jesus, thank you. I guess I'll be seeing you in a moment. It's serious, like deadpan. I was like, this is it. Thanks, Lord. I'm so glad I have you because like 20 months before this, I didn't have Jesus. So it's a really big deal. I'm like, I'm going to go to heaven right now. And then everything stopped moving and the Monopoly pieces and the Stratego pieces landed on me, and I was alive. And I just said, thank you, Jesus. And in that moment, I realized that it had hit me. I am not under death anymore. I don't have to fear death. Death is not my master. I I was going to die because of my own foolishness, but Jesus was going to save me anyways. Death is not your master. You don't have to fear death. Death is just a doorway into a realm that you don't know yet, but that God has prepared for you. He's got a plan for you after your death, and it's better than it is right now. Don't rush to that death, though, because there's good work and rewards along the way for you. But death is not over you. It doesn't rule over you any longer. For the death that Jesus died, he died to sin once for all time. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So Jesus is our example in this, and we're unified with him. So you too consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is a really big concept. Paul says, consider. Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Okay, now some of us, you don't have to raise your hand. Some of us have been on a diet before. We want to change the proportion of our bodies in some way, right? Now, if you've dieted before, there's two ways that you can diet. You can diet with hope, and you can diet with shame. Okay, dieting with shame usually involves looking at your body and going, I don't like this body, so I'm going to change the way that I eat. You know what happens, though, when you do that? You keep looking at your body, and you think, this is awfully discouraging, and you're maybe large because food is your coping mechanism. I don't know. I'm just throwing that out there. It is for me, right? There's no therapy that's better than fresh-baked bread sometimes. You know what I'm saying? If you know, you know. And so, and so you've got all this shame, and food is your coping mechanism. So what do you do? You eat more. And for the first week, you eat more salad. And then eventually, you're like, nope, right? And so soon, you've got the energy drink again. You're eating the ice cream out of the carton, but it's just one spoonful at a time, so it's a minimalistic snack. And you don't want to put it in a bowl because you don't want to overeat the ice cream. And then the next thing you know, you're calling Ben and Jerry and asking them when they're shipping more. You know, you're just living in that shame cycle, and it doesn't work. You've considered yourself inadequate. You've considered yourself worthless. But then there's this type of dieting where you have hope, and you look at this thing, and you're like, things are looking up. I'm making some big changes around here. We're going to shrink this. We're going to grow this. We're going to grow these. It's going to be great. 
pass me a protein bar and a cup of water, please, right? Like you've got this whole different outlook because you've considered something better is coming. There's something new along the way. This is what it's talking about here. So you too consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ. But sometimes for some reason, believers consider themselves inadequate failures who can't get it together. And so they end up walking in the weight of sin and in shame and condemnation. And you know what happens? They get stagnated and they get stuck and they return to their sin over and over again thinking somehow they will get better. And they forget that it starts with considering Jesus, considering what's coming, considering his strength towards you, considering that you're dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And so they leave living in the power of God's salvation for them because God is saving them from the power of sin. And it's not on their shoulders. It's not on your shoulders for you to overcome sin. God says, I will do this in you. I will strengthen you with my mighty righteous right hand. Rely on me. Rely on my Holy Spirit. I will get you through this and he was he will and therefore paul says therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies so that you obey its desires okay i've talked about this before i'm, I'm going to share it again briefly in 2008 2009 it gets fuzzy after a decade i'm sorry uh, I went through a serious season of depression. I mean a serious season of depression. It started out and it was just kind of, I was blah. And it was the end of summer and I was blah. I love summer. I'm never blah over summer. And then fall set in and we lived in the Pacific Northwest, which meant that the gray set in. And as the clouds descended upon Portland, so gloom descended upon my heart. And by mid-November, I had six good hours a day, six good hours a day. The rest of them, I was in a cocoon, in a blanket on my couch with the TV on, hoping that it would end, or literally just sleeping in my bed. And I didn't know what I was gonna do. I didn't want life to end, I didn't wanna be stuck there, but I was absolutely stuck there. I was hopeless. And I was hopeless because I was tackling for the first time a serious issue in my life a personal addiction to something that wasn't saving me, but that I had hoped in for salvation for a long time. And I didn't know how to tackle it. And I didn't know God's power in that. And so I just considered myself dead, not moving forward, stuck. And then I was just stuck in my hopelessness. And I was stuck in this difficulty. And I didn't know how to move forward. And sometimes, sometimes brothers and sisters, we get so stuck that we can't get out ourselves. We need to ask for help. We need to have people remind us of God's power on our behalf, who will pray for us, who will encourage us, who will give us truth bit by bit, who will help us find spiritual milk and nourish us and strengthen us. This is why in Galatians 6 it says, consider those who have fallen into sin. Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness with great care. Because when we're stuck in this shame category, we're actually really fragile. We're easily broken and bruised. We're already feeling crushed. 
And so we need to take care of those people. And if you're in that boat today, I want you to know that if you're willing, I will talk with you, and I will help you, and I genuinely mean this. And so see me after service or write it on a communication card, and I know any of our elders would be too, because sometimes we can't consider, and we need to have other people help us to consider and to move us forward from that place of being stuck. And so we need to not let sin reign in our mortal bodies, but if we're stuck there, there's help for you, okay? There's help for you because you don't have to obey the desires of sin any longer. Now we're going to transition back to the hope of the text. And Paul says, and do not offer any parts of it as sin. So any parts of that mortal body, don't offer it as sin, as weapons for unrighteousness. But as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. Isn't this powerful? It's saying that salvation has transformed you. You once were under Satan's rule. Everything you did was a weapon against God, even if you knew it wasn't or didn't know that it was. It was. And now that you're in Christ, you have this new opportunity, and that is to offer yourself every day as a sacrifice to God, and therefore you become a weapon of righteousness on God's behalf. And that's where you're best, because that's where the Spirit's power is moving in your life. And then Paul concludes with this, for sin will not rule over you because you are not under the law but under grace. You might remember a few weeks ago, we talked about the power of grace versus the power of the law. If you weren't here for that message, I encourage you to check out the podcast. Grace is amazingly powerful for you and frees you and transforms you. So this is what salvation is doing. It's freeing you from the power of sin because grace is at work in you. Can you free yourself from the power of sin? No. I can't change the people around me and I've become understanding over time that I can't really change myself. But Jesus Christ can change me, and his grace can transform me. And that's a really powerful thing. Because of that, it says in Philippians 1.6, I am sure that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion in the day of, until the day of Christ Jesus. That's the day that Jesus returns to take us all home with him. But it's the sureness of salvation because God is going to continue this good work in you. There's going to be a day where you fail in a big way. I don't mean to prognosticate or prophesy over you in a bad way, but we're all humans, right? We all fail in many ways. And, and everything that you think you were doing right, it's going to look like you were doing it wrong. And the mistake that you feared making, you will have made. The thing that you hope wouldn't fall apart will fall apart. And in that day, you will have this gracious opportunity to realize that your salvation is not sourced in you or found in you. It's found in Jesus Christ. And there's great freedom in that. I'm not going to use his name, but I've got a, a brother in Christ who's had several businesses fail. I mean, like, fail hard, like bankruptcy-level failure. And every time he's realized that God is the one who's going to continue to save him, that God built the first business and he's going to build the next business. I can't imagine how terrible the first one felt. And I can't imagine how terrible the second one felt. And I can't imagine how terrible the third one felt. But every time, I know, seriously, right? You're like, this sounds like a country western song. Did his dog leave with his wife and his truck got with the neighbor? I mean, like, what, what's going on? How bad could this get, right? And, and, so, and so each time, though, he saw God move and saw God deliver and saw God provide. And he never had to take his life into his own hand. He just kept leaving it in God's hands because he knew that God would be faithful to deliver him even through the trials that he was in. And that's what this is talking about in this Philippians uh, verse here, that God is the one who can transform us, that he's the one who will see us through. In John 6, 37, Jesus says, the one who comes to me, I will never let go. 
In John 10, 28, he says, I give my sheep everlasting life and no one can take them from my hand. I'm going to continue to deliver them. I'm going to continue to work in their lives. So what do we do with this? This is awfully nice. Well, this is what we do with this. You the brain and the tongue, they got off base there. Uh, renew yourself in the might and the power of God's vast strength. Renew yourself in the might and the power of God's vast strength. Now, that sounds weird. You know that God has three words for power, okay? So he's got dunamis, and he's got exousia, and he's got kratos, okay? So dunamis, it's the same root that we get dynamite from, but it, it falls short because what does dynamite do? It destroys, right? And so God's not like, I'm going to put my destructive power in your life. Maybe he is over sin, but usually he's actually talking about you doing positive things, exercising positive power in your life, right? And then, and then he's got exousia, which is like authority. It's the right to exercise the power, right? It's the right to do the thing that you're supposed to do, okay? So there's things that you can do in your house that it's awfully do, weird for you to do in your neighbor's house, right? So, so uh, you get home from work and you take a shower and you do it at your house. If you get home from work and you go to your neighbor's house to take a shower, how's that going to go? Not so good. You do not have the authority to do that there. Authority matters. It's a form of power. You have the power to do it in your house. They have the power to call the police if you do it in their house, right? And so you don't have the power there. So God gives you the exousia, the authority to use the power that he gives you. That's important because if you don't have the authority, it's not going to go very well. Remember, there's this moment in Acts. There's these people, and they're casting out demons. Their names are the sons of Sceva. And they go to this place where this guy is really severely demonically uh, influence he's demonized in a big way and they go in and they say get out of him in jesus name and then the demon like looks at them and i could just see the film i don't know why this isn't in a film and the demon's like i know jesus and i know paul but who the stink are you right and they just that guy just beats the brakes off of them and it says they basically made it out in their underwear I mean, this, this, there was just no authority in their life because they didn't have faith in Jesus. They were working miracles for money, right? And they finally found the place where that wouldn't work out. They didn't have the authority. But God has given you authority. So you've got this might and this power, right? The authority to do it. And he's given this to you from a great well of strength. From a great well of strength. An endless, vast source of strength. And so God will never run out of strength to give you. That's very important for you to know because every other source of strength in your life is limited. You can outwork your body. You can outwork your mind. You can outspend your bank account. You can outdrive your gas tank. You can empty the refrigerator. The electric company goes down occasionally, but Jesus never runs out of power for you. You can always rely on his power in your life. And there's going to be times where you realize that life is calling for more strength more power, more might than you have on your own, and then it's time to renew your strength in Jesus. It's time to rest in him and let him work in your life. So renew yourself in the Lord. And then next, we will be saved from the presence of sin. We will be saved from the presence of sin. In Romans 8, 20, it says, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who suggest, subjected it, in the hope that creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay into freedom 
of the glory of God's children, into the freedom of the glory of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. Not only that, but we ourselves, who have the Spirit as first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly awaiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Now, what's this saying? It's talking about this. Has there ever been a moment in your life when you realize that this world is pretty messed up? It's not the way that it's supposed to be. That it's never seeming to come together the way they want it to come together. That there's always some sort of new environmental crisis. There's always some sort of economic disaster looming. There's always a next war. They're going to have another election with bad politicians. They're gonna, it's, it's just never coming together right. It's like the, the jigsaw puzzle and the picture keeps changing and the pieces keep falling off and it's never going to get fixed. Do you ever have that moment where you just realize that life isn't working out right? It's because it's not. It's because there's sin, and sin has impacted everything in the world. And I know this sounds very dark and gloomy, but the reality is, is that history has not demonstrated that we can get it together. I mean, humans have been working together for 6,000 years on this planet to get it together, and we keep causing it to fall apart. Remember what World War, II, World War I was? It was the war to end all wars. Did it end all wars? No, the 20th century became known as the century of war. Has it gotten better since then? No, we now have a World Health Organization. We have a Center for Disease Control. Do we have less disease or more disease in the world today? It seems like there's more, right? In fact, they're making diseases for us. More on that later on your favorite news source, right? We just can't seem to get it right. We, we, it keeps falling apart. Why is that? It's because there's sin in the world and all creation is groaning. We're groaning, and we're groaning with creation, and we're wanting something better. And God says that better thing is coming. There will be redemption. There will be redemption for our bodies. There will be transformation in the world. God will save us from the presence of sin. We just can't imagine what it's going to be like. In 1 John 3, 2, it says this, Dear friends, we are God's children now. Right now we're God's children. And what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he appears, when Jesus appears, appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. In other words, there's a moment coming when you will be perfected, when you will be glorified, when the world is remade with the former glory that it had before creation, and all sin will be gone. Jesus will save you from the presence of sin. And you long for that day more than you know. You long for that day more than you know. And what do we do with this? We remember, this is not as good as it gets. There's two times that you need to remember this. You need to remember this when life is worse, when it's at its hardest place, when it's the worst day you've ever had, when you can't imagine things getting any better or any worse, you're just feeling stuck there. This is as bad as it gets. It's going to get better in the future. You don't have to have satisfaction right now all the time. And then there's also these moments where the world offers you supreme satisfaction in itself, where your flesh rears up and says, you can be really satisfied with this experience, with this other person sexually or with this drug or with this alcohol or with this money and these are all temptations where we think that what it's about is right now and me feeling good right now because right now is all that we have therefore let's eat and drink and be merry because this is as good as it gets it's not it falls so short and those moments they never work out forever the affair always fails the bottle runs out and you find yourself lower than you were before the drugs tear up your mind and your life and your relationship. The money takes you somewhere you thought you wanted to go and you realize you lost everything you wanted along the way. It doesn't work out. And in those moments of temptation, we have to remember this is not what makes life good. 
And this is not as good as it gets. God has a glorious future for me, and I'm waiting for that future, and I'm living for that future, not for right now. So, remember, we're on this journey. We'll find the answer to can we lose our salvation when we look at the nature of salvation. So, who is the cause of our salvation so far? Jesus. Is he the one who's saving you from sin? Is he the one who makes your future better by having a better place for you? So, who is salvation dependent on so far? It's Jesus. So, if Jesus is the one whose salvation has got it in his hands, Jesus has salvation in your hands, is there something you can do to mess it up? No, not so far, right? Not so far. In fact, it says that right after this whole thing with creation waiting. It says nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus for us. Not anything created, nor, no angels, no future, no sin, nothing. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. But there's a little bit more than I want you to understand. When you believe, you are transformed, transferred, and indwelt. Okay, so that's about salvation. This is about what happens when you, tr- when, you are, when you are saved. The first thing that happens is you are transformed. You're reborn and regenerated. Ephesians, what's happening here? Well, how about that? We got, we got some stuff that we're missing. We're going to go back here. All right, in uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, Therefore, anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Jesus says that in order to enter the kingdom of heaven, you have to be reborn. So you're spiritually reborn. So you've been transformed and you've been reborn. Okay, so you are at home and you are making an apple pie and you take your flour and your salt and your lard and you cut it together and you make yourself a crust. And then you take your apples and you peel them and you core them and you coat them in sugar and brown sugar and cinnamon and you throw some butter in there, a little bit of cornstarch to thicken it up. You put it in the pie. You put the second cover on it. You put it in the oven. You have transformed flour, salt, butter, sugar, apples, cinnamon, nutmeg, all that stuff. You've transformed it. It's not those things any longer. It's now apple pie. If you wanted to get those apples back with seeds, core, stem, skin, can you do it? No, they've been transformed. If you needed that flour tomorrow and you used it today, can you get the flour back? Can you like take that thing and break it apart? You get flour, you just get crust crumbs, right? It's been transformed. If you've been transformed by Jesus Christ, do you think there's something that can untransform you? No, he can't. He's transformed you. So you're telling me that somehow Jesus transformed you, but there's something you or somebody else can do that would cause you to be untransformed. No. How about this? Anybody ever have a baby? Can you unborn a baby? No, you can't. You, we're going back, buddy. Sorry, we're rewinding the last 10 months. We need to return you. You don't look right. You smell kind of funky, right? It never happens that way, by the way. Everybody's in love with that thing. It doesn't do anything wonderful, but it's wonderful, right? So, so you can't unborn a baby. You, you can't unspiritually born a new Christian. They're born in Christ. They're a new creation. You you can't take that away from them. You can't do it, and neither can they, because it's a work of God in their life. Next, you're transferred. You're transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the Son who God loves. And in Christ, you are adopted into God's family. Colossians 1.13, He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. Amen. That's good news. He's changed your spiritual address forever. He's done it. 
You can't do it. You can pack up your stuff and you can move back to the domain of darkness and Jesus doesn't recognize that address. He's not going to deliver there. He'll come visit you, but all of your mail is over here and he's waiting for you to come home. He's not letting you move out of his kingdom. You're now defined by that kingdom. You're no longer an American. You're not a Canadian. You're not a whatever you are. You're now from heaven. Ephesians 2.19, so then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. You're now in God's household, for you did not receive a spirit of slavery, says Romans 8.15, to fall back into fear, but instead you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Wow, you were transferred and you were adopted. God did that. Next, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit. In him you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. Mm, the Holy Spirit seals you. The Holy Spirit's got you. You're there. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. You're the possession. God's going to redeem you. And that's the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit is the down payment. He says, I'm coming back. I've got you on layaway. I'm going to get you soon, right? It's something he's going to do. The Holy Spirit seals you. You know what that means? You said, I do to Jesus. And Jesus says, I did, I'm doing, and I will do, and I'll never stop on your behalf. And I put the Holy Spirit in your life so that you know, and everybody else knows, that this is a me thing, not a you thing, because I've got this. You don't have it. You've been transformed spiritually, but you've still got a sin nature. You've been transformed spiritually, but you're still living behind enemy lines. Your ultimate home has changed. You're now in the kingdom, but you're still living with the enemy, and he's trying to get you back, but I won't let him take you. You are mine. So what's your job? You're to remain in Christ. You're to remain in Christ. The enemy's going to try to convince you over and over again to, that you don't need to remain in Christ, that you don't have to think about Jesus' things, that you should worry about yourself, that God doesn't have you, that you have to do it on your own. You don't. You don't. He's got this. He's got you. God's gracious gifts and calling are irrevocable. This is the cherry on top. God's gracious gifts and calling are irrevocable. Is salvation a gift? Is it a gift? Is Jesus calling you forward? He's the one who's calling you. You know what this says? He'll never stop. He'll never stop. You can't break up with Jesus. He won't break up with you. You can't abandon Jesus. He won't abandon you. You can't move away from Jesus because he's everywhere. You can't get yourself out of Jesus because he put you in him. You can't leave the Holy Spirit because he says, I won't leave you. He says, you can quench me and you can ignore me, but I'm not going anywhere. I'm in your life forever. I've changed you from what you were to what you are, and I'm creating you as what you will be, and I've got you. I've got this. You can't mess it up. Do not fear. The gospel is really good news. It's really good news because it's about what God has done for you. And the moment we decide that somebody can do something to mess it up, it ceases to be good news. We can't call it eternal life. We can call it maybe life, right? Because it's dependent on someone who is undependable, but it's dependent on the rock, Jesus Christ. And he is always dependable. He is always faithful. So what are you going to do today? There was a lot of R's. We had it rolling is today the day that you receive the gift of life? If so, I rejoice in you. And I would just encourage you, let me know. I want to pray with you. I want to help you grow. I want to help you understand the fullness of this salvation. Don't be afraid. Be bold. God's given you a new life. Live in it. It is amazing, I promise you. Is today a day that you need to remember to rejoice in your freedom? 
Have you been down in the dumps and you forgot the joy of your salvation? Be like David. Ask God, God, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, Lord. The work you've done in me, let me rejoice again. Do you need to renew your strength? Are you tired? Have you been trying to do this spiritual life on your own? Did you just serve it packed to school and you need a nap? That's okay. Ask God to give you strength while you take that nap. He will strengthen you. He will give you what you need to get through the day. Parents, is it tiring to parent? Oh, man, I have needed so much Jesus strength. Sometimes I send the kids to their room because I need to go to my room, right? I need, Jesus, right now, these children you gave me, right? They're driving me a little bit batty. So please strengthen me so that I can love them like you do, so that I can be gracious. Instead of saying the things I'm thinking, I want to say the things you're thinking, Lord. So strengthen me. Is retirement retiring? Some of you it is, right? So you're like, it's the best, man. That's great. Jesus is strengthening you. Some of you need to be strengthened in your retirement to do what is good and right in God's eyes. Next, we need to remember the glorious future. Are you just living for today? Have you decided that this is it and you might as well do whatever feels good because you're not guaranteed a tomorrow? Guess what? You are guaranteed a tomorrow and it's better than this. And Jesus says, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven because these treasures on earth, they fade and fail. And then finally, rest easy because God's got you. You know, Christians should be the most relaxed people on the planet. Are we? No, we're so anxious. We're so full of fear and condemnation. Can you believe what's happening in politics, guys? I just got to tell you about how bad politics are. No, 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 no. We do not bear the news of Fox News and CNN. We bear the news of Jesus Christ. Guys, I got to tell you, the world's screwed up, but my Savior's got a plan, and it's better than you can believe. Guys, I got to tell you, it seems weird right now, but Jesus is going to do some awesome work in the future. Put your faith in him, right? Rest easy. Jesus is taking care of this. He has a plan. His power is in you. You're not doing this on your own. He's guaranteeing your future. Don't worry about a thing. You know, it's not Hakuna Matata. It's Jesus. He's got you. You don't have to fear anymore. Trust in him and him alone because there's no other name by which we are saved. There's no power in heaven and earth that can save you besides Jesus. Nothing else will make your life better than he can. Rest in him. Rejoice in him because he's so good. He's so good. Let's pray. We'll leave the WWE moment. Father, thank you. Thank you for the good news of Jesus Christ. I can't say it well enough. I can't say it clear enough. I can't say it loud enough, but your, your spirit can. Your spirit says it gently. It says it loudly. He says it consistently. And so I pray that your spirit would be unleashed on us in a new way to know your power, your love, the fullness of salvation that is available for us. Father, we go through seasons where we're weary, where we're tired, where we grumble, where we fear, where we complain. Forgive us. And thank you that you have what we need. And so we just want to turn to you right now and pray that you would minister to us in our deepest need. Sometimes we don't even know what this need is, Father, but you do. And we do know this. We want to know the power of Christ in us. We want to know the goodness of your fellowship. We want to see the fruit of the Spirit in our midst. We want to walk in the good news that is available to us. And so we pray that you would continue to save us, Father, and we rejoice because we know you will. Amen.